let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for bringing us here this evening. Thank you for being so merciful and gracious and loving towards us, your children, Father. Thank you for preserving moments in time like this so that we can just relax, unwind, and enjoy sweet fellowship with you and with other members of the body of Christ. Father, what a privilege it is to be here this evening. We pray we never become familiar with it. We pray also for those in the congregation that can't be here, that earnestly desire to be here with us, that you return them to the fold, and you're a good timing, of course. We pray also for those still lost and without hope in this world. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to cancel out that debt and to make just a moment like this in time, a time to thoroughly enjoy. We just ask for your blessings on this evening's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, part four. Uh, unexpected, but awesome. Um, we did finish up with part three on Sunday, the other side of grace. Uh, and what a wonderful mini-series this has been. Um, and if you recall, the whole thing started with the Spirit making a plain statement that no blessing unless clearly stated otherwise in Holy Scripture. Yep, there's a blessing. Who's, who's got the phone? John, are you serious? John's taking text during class. So it all started with this plain statement that no blessing unless clearly stated otherwise in Holy Scripture ought to be perceived as permanent. John, do you got that? No blessing is permanent. <laughs> in other words, if we were to broaden it, uh, nothing is guaranteed. Amen? Like, doesn't that just give you the right perspective? It brings you into the now. And that's where we're supposed to be. We're supposed to live in and for the now. God's got everything taken care of. Tomorrow hasn't even happened yet. So what are you worried about? 99% of the time, it never works out the way you think it's going to anyways. So why worry about that kind of stuff? God's got it all under control. But with that said, even, that was the foundation, right? That's where we started this journey. Um, we also pointed the flip side of grace. So not just, you know, receiving blessings and understanding that those blessings are not always going to be there. Not just the receivership side of it, but also the flip side, the other side of grace, which implies giving. Um, and not just, you know, giving religiously, as we've been learning, you know, so the world can, I don't know, roll its eyes at us, um, because even the world is pretty good at spotting phonies. 
So we don't just give for the sake of giving in a religious sense. But as is always the case, we learned about the purpose of giving. For example, when we give, others see it. Up here on the board, Hebrews 12, 14 to 15 in the Amplified, continually pursue peace with everyone and the sanctification without which no one will ever see the Lord. And so you have to pursue this thing, uh, this sanctification. Otherwise, no one will ever see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of God's grace, that no root of resentment springs up and causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. So the net net of the last three messages really has been that the great litmus test for all of this is love. I mean, you can give something to someone begrudgingly, but love is the litmus test for us, for us to assess our own giving. Did we give out of love or did we give religiously? Did we have the right motivation or not? So this is why Paul wrote this up here in the board, Romans 12, 9, 17 through 18 as well. He says, let love be genuine. That's the opposite of hypocrisy, right? Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. In other words, hey, listen, the world's watching. The Spirit extended our line of sight on Sunday, which was that arguably, arguably, the most meaningful thing you can ever give someone is you. Do you know what I mean by that? The the most meaningful thing you can ever give someone is you. Um, People need to see that you are present before they will truly believe that you are invested in them. Right? This is not present. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's a good story. Oh, it's good to see you. That's not present. Present means being there for that person, giving you to them so that they know that you're invested in them. One thing I am certain of, if Jesus were here right now, he would be present with us. Do you follow? He would be present. And we would love him for it. And we would know that he loves us because his Presence would be made known. Up here on the board, grace giving. When a person sees the Lord in you, they see the love that motivates you, and they will treasure your gifts. They will treasure you for it. Like I said, arguably the most meaningful thing you can give someone is you, is your presence, your attention, your time, your energy your investment in them, in other words. 
And as we've noted, the more mature we become in the faith, the more evidence we give of this sanctification that we just read about. The more mature we become, the more evidence we give of this sanctification. And again, this sanctification is what others can see. And if you know someone long enough, you know that you've changed before their eyes. They can see that too. So they can actually see a span of your sanctification. They can actually see you being changed. And that's your witness. While the world may never fully understand what's actually going on in our lives or why certain changes to our person are happening, the Bible says these changes will be visible to some degree. I don't know. Other than what the Bible says, that's what I can teach you. Don't ask me about, you know, well, what is it? Is it this? I don't know. They see something. I don't want to give you anything because then you'd probably become religious. Because I'm going to do that then. You'd miss the whole point. Right? The Bible also says that as witnesses, God can and will use these changes as evidence of his good work in us. And it is his good work in us that allows people to, quote, see the Lord, Hebrews 12, 14. Again, that's that sort of progressive sanctification or what we sometimes call experiential sanctification. People see you here, then they see you a year later or five years later, and they say, what's going on with you? I love the Lord. I'm in love. That's what's going on with me. I want some of that. I figured you might say that. Paul shared his own encouragement with the church at Thessalonica as he noted their spiritual growth and sanctification. Up here on the board, 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 3, reads, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right. Why? Because your faith is growing abundantly. They were maturing. And here's the proof. The love of every one of you for one another is increasing. He said, I can, we can see it. This is awesome. I mean, I can see that in all of you even. Seeing this love increase in the Thessalonians made Paul very grateful to God. That's his way of directing or, or uh, giving credit where credit's due. This is God's work. Because, you know, Paul probably knew these people before they were saved. At least some of them. And I, I, I'll say it again, I can certainly relate when I think about all of you. Right? I mean, I've seen love grow in this congregation. Honest to goodness. Like I've seen it. I've seen relationships happen, right? This is almost... Un, it's, and if I didn't see it, I wouldn't believe it. A little kid came in and hugged Scott. <laughs> Scott, in all fairness, you're like, hey, listen, we're not supposed to hug you. I heard it, so that's good. Right, we're trying to abide by the law. But the crazier thing, I was like, What? Scott's got children coming up to him and hugging him. Do they know him? 
Ah, you know what I'm saying, though? If they didn't know him, they'd probably be like, I'm just kidding. But you know what I'm saying? There's, there's real love being expressed here among the family. Amen? Like, it's true. It's true. And I was thinking about that because it's true, and I, I say this with complete objectivity. I've known some of you for many, many years. Um, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be mean or, or anything like that, but before Christ, a lot of you were pretty miserable. Right? Pretty miserable. And I, I'm not even, you know, I'm not trying to be funny. I'm not trying to be anything. I'm just being honest. Before Christ, you know, the joy I see in you today simply wasn't there. It just wasn't there. So I ask you to think about that right now. Think about your, yourself even before Christ. Think about what you used to be like before you really got to know Jesus Christ. And obviously this doesn't, just doesn't go for you know, when you were saved. This goes for believers even. Think about how being or how you're being in love or in the sphere of it even has increased over the past few years and what that's done in your life. Um, and think about, again, the effect that that's had. All while the rest of the world, especially with this COVID thing going on, right? The rest of the world seems to be becoming more and more miserable. And yet, I bet you if I polled you all, you would say, I'm more and more free. I'm more and more in love with my Lord. And it's wonderful. While the world is just crashing, you're flourishing. And I thank God for it. And that's what we see with Paul. When Paul saw this same transformation occurring in the souls of the Thessalonians, he was so grateful to God. Grateful for what exactly? Their sanctification. How could he tell? They had love. It literally, we just read that. He said, because your love for one another is increasing. That's how I know that you're being sanctified. I know what I've taught. I know what you should know. I know what I hope for you. But it's really nice to see Christ's love exchanged between you in, in an increasing manner. They had love. And that was the proof of their sanctification. And so we thanked God because God alone can sanctify. We do not sanctify ourselves. We do not even make the decision to be more religious. That's very dangerous ground. So the great litmus test for sanctification is love. And just so you know, this week's blog elaborates on that, uh, as well as peace, up here on the board. It's titled, The Search for Peace. I think you'll enjoy it. The Search for Peace. That seems to be like the question in this world, right? Everybody's just looking for a little peace. But again, love is the great litmus test 
for our sanctification. More practically stated, as our sanctification progresses, so does our love, especially for others. Go to uh, 1 John 4.19. 1 John 4.19. As our sanctification progresses, so does our love, especially for others. First four, uh, First John 4.19 sets the pattern for us. <clears throat> I mean, this is where we learn what love even looks like. It's from God. First John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. Think about that. Um, I, I haven't thought about this until just now. You know, how do you know what real love looks like until someone comes along and gives it to you, presents it to you? Because the only love we ever really know up until God's love is what the world can give us. And that's always like a subjective, subjective perverted type of love. And so we kind of fall into, you know, fall into the game of putting the onus on the other person, that kind of a love, that subjective, dependent love, which in its worst forms becomes manipulative and jealous and all that ugliness that comes along with fleshly kind of love. It isn't until God loves us and we say, hey, wait a minute. I'm awful to you. I didn't deserve any of this. And you still loved me. Yep. Now I start understanding godly love. That he loved us for who and what he is. Amen? Jesus loved us when we were his enemies. That's when it starts to click. You say, oh, this is different. Yeah. This is how God loves. And this is how he wants us to love because it's the freedom. It's the freeing kind of love. It's the transcendent kind of love. The love that puts you out of harm's way in every aspect, in every facet of life. Because now you're no longer dependent on any other human being to be in love. How about a big amen for that? Read that in a romance novel. It'd be like one page. John was on the beach. And he was in love. Done. No woman. No nothing. Just John, right, Jenny was on the beach. In love. End of book. One sentence. You, you're not going to find that in a romance novel. We learn it from him. We love because he first loved us. Verse 20, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For who or he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Must. And so we pondered this last statement on Sunday because it really drives home the principle of integrity and I'm using the word integrity here in a more structural sense, you know, like building integrity, the integrity of a building, the integrity of a structure, the soundness of it. Um, I'm using the word integrity to describe the fact that love from God cannot be fractured. It cannot be fractured. It cannot be described 
um, you know, by a list of activities uh, that can then be parsed or separated, if that makes sense. His love, the sphere of his love, you can't, you can't fracture it. What the Bible teaches us over and over again is that love becomes us. And that's a very different concept for those of us, obviously, who used to be natural-minded. That love becomes us. That it's not some dependency on other people. It's not, oh, I love that person. They're always so nice to me. They're always so, you fill in the superlative, I love them. No, this kind of love becomes us. We sort of like unify with it. It becomes us. Um, And it develops and flourishes to its greatest heights without prejudice. Because prejudice is a subjective thing, right? I don't like that in a person, therefore I don't like them. And anytime I see that characteristic in a person, I don't like them. Or I like them less. That's what we call prejudice. And so this kind of love is without that, without prejudice. Which is why Jesus said the following. Go to Luke 6.35. Luke 6.35. So this kind of love is without prejudice. Jesus said the following. All right? Luke 6:35. He said, "But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the most high. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil." Whoa. Love your enemies. I mean, if someone punches you in the face, you kind of don't like that about them, correct? If anyone punches you in the face, you kind of don't like that characteristic in a person. And Jesus says, you know what? Love them. I need you to love them. It's what I did for you. Because pretty much every time you sin, you cheat on me which is worse than a punch in the face. Love transcends our circumstances, even when they are against us. Up here on the board, Proverbs 10, verse 12. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. On Sunday, I I believe we, we caught... Peter's quotation of this in First uh, Peter, I think. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. How? Because it transcends. Because I can get out of my own way. If you punch me in the face, I say, you're obviously weak. If you feel the need to strike me, or to slander me, or to stab me in the back, or under, whatever it is, to 
transgress against me. That's not my problem. You are the one that is weak because you're sinning. And you need my love. I may not hug you. I may not have a personal love for you because it's hard to personally love someone who punches you. But I can have a love that is undisturbed, that's without prejudice, even towards my enemies. And that's what the Bible means when it says love covers all offenses, or love, the way Peter wrote it, or stated it, love covers a multitude of sins. That's how you know. That's the litmus test. You you get it? That's the litmus test. That's how you know you've really begun to be sanctified is because what I'm talking about resonates with you. And it's not just something that makes sense. It has become you. You are now living it. And you're saying to yourself, this really happens. Ten years ago, I would have punched you back. Today, I transcend it. I go home and I pray for you fervently because I know that you're weak. Go to Romans 12.14. Romans 12.14, where Paul echoes Jesus' words in so many words. Jesus said, love your enemies, right? Because love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers all offenses. Romans 12, 14, Paul wrote this. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Romans 12, 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. You say, all right, I get it. All right, okay, okay. But why? Why is this the right thing to do, I ask you? Why would the Bible instruct us this way? Why is this the right thing to do? When all I want to do is punch them. Maybe we just change directions a little bit. We just shake it off. And just change a little bit. Change our perspective on this issue a little bit. Is there a way that can help motivate us to maintain this kind of love? Even in the face of severe persecution, for example. Is there a, is there a thing, is there a strategy that the Word of God gives us? Is there certain encouragement? from Holy Scripture that says this is how you can deal with that the next time someone punches you or you fill in the blank, sins against you, whatever it is. How about understanding? How about just taking a side step? Better yet, you know, maybe the better way to look at it is really transcend, get out of the weeds, get out of the melee, get off the white noise, get out of the that thing, 
transcend and look down with understanding and say, this is what we have before us. We have one person weak sinning against another. The other person just happens to be me in this case. But that shouldn't change a thing. I'm going to transcend and apply understanding to this situation. Because tomorrow, the tables are turned. Amen? Somebody's like, oh, no. I'm perfect. How about understanding? How about we step back and remember what it was like to be lost or controlled by our human flesh? Some of you are like, that was like 10 minutes before class. <laughs> How about we have a little compassion? Instead of looking at our enemies with anger, subjectively, how about we look at them with objective love, which frees us up to have compassion, understanding that they're weak. Let's read some Holy Scripture. Go to Colossians 3.12. Colossians 3.12. How about a little compassion? Maybe that's the strategy, right? Maybe that's the strategy of, of loving your enemies, blessing those who persecute us. Maybe that's the strategy. I don't know. God's pretty smart. Colossians 3.12. <clears throat> Put on then, and I'm, I don't have the original Greek here, but I'd be willing to bet, it's very likely it's the Greek word in duo, remember, to like don, clothe yourselves in. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, what? What does it say? Compassionate hearts. Put that on in the morning. Put that on the next time someone decides they're going to sin against you or attack you. Put on a compassionate heart. Isn't that what Jesus had to do? I think so. Put on a put on compassionate hearts. Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another. Bearing with one another and if one has a complaint against another, what's that word? Forgiving each other. The word giving is in it. You've got to give yourself. You've got to do this thing. Forgiving each other. It's up to you to forgive another person. To give them that mercy. In that moment of need, obviously, Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love. Put on love. The greatest of these is love. Right? Which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. That's again, goes all the way back to what we talked about a few moments ago, the evidence of sanctification, the evidence of it, 
the peace of Christ ruling in your hearts that's the evidence of sanctification, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. What does that imply? Doing what you're doing right now. Reading your Bibles, etc., etc. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Why? None of this would be possible without Him. Amen? None of it would be possible without Him. That's why He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Our access is through the mediator, right? Our access is through the redeemer. That's the only way. So we ought to be really, like, really, really eternally grateful. There's such a thing. If you need those, like, extra adjectives or what are those adjectives or adverbs? Uh, you don't know either. We don't need to have extra qualifying words. How about that? We should just be really grateful eternally so, towards Jesus Christ, because sanctification would be an impossibility without Him. And what did He do? What did He do when you were His enemy? You know what He did. So, when you think it's you know, a difficult task to love someone because they are persecuting you, have a little compassion, the way Jesus did. And if you're secretly saying to yourself, you know, like, I'm sure someone probably in here is, oh, well, you know, Jesus had perfect love, so it's not, it's not fair to ask me to be like Jesus because he was, like, perfect. And, you, you know, you do that thing, that's, your, that's your, um, your out. You say, well, Jesus was perfect. So, you know, I don't have to. Okay, so may I submit to you a regular guy then? Go to Acts 7.59. Acts 7.59. How about a regular person so you can stop playing that game? Satan. Lawyer. Trying to lawyer your way out of your ridiculousness. 7.59. How's this for a show of love? Huh? Acts 7.59. Oh, and by the way, as they were stoning Stephen, anybody even here been stoned lately? You know, with the intent of killing him, obviously, by being stoned, which cannot be a pleasant experience. As they were stoning Stephen, not Jesus, Stephen, just, you know, a guy, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Holy mackerel! Are you serious with this? You're being stoned to death? And your last prayer is, Lord, don't hold this sin against them? 
And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He died. So that's for you, those of you who say and use that out, oh, well, Jesus was perfect, so I can't ex- stop it. That's just an excuse. That's just you trying to lawyer your way out of your own ridiculousness. Because regular people in humility do incredible things all the time. So Jesus wasn't the only person to be able to show compassion on the lost. Back to our instigating principle up here on the board, grace giving. When a person sees the Lord in you, they see the love that motivates you, and they will treasure your gifts because they know that you're invested in them. They will see something. That's all I can tell you because that's what the Bible says. What that is, what that looks like in every case, I don't know. I know how it is in my life. I know when that happens in my life or when I know someone sees the love of Christ through me. I have a sense when that happens, but other than that, I don't have a a laundry list for you. Once you realize all the good that love accomplishes in this world, then, then you understand why God commands us to love. Again, Once you realize all the good that love accomplishes in this world, then you understand why God commands us to love. More specific to our current mini-series titled The Other Side of Grace, once you understand God's love, you understand why He commands us to give it. Remember, the other side of grace isn't just receiving. The other side is giving. We love because he first loved us. We receive. Grace passes through us. We give. This is what he commands of us. So once you understand God's love, you understand why he commands us to give it by grace, not just receive it. By grace. For as the Spirit's been pointing out, there are two sides to grace. And it's the one arguably less thought of that he's been asking us to focus on, namely the giving aspect of God's economy of grace. Not just the receiving side, but the giving side. Here's some additional food to chew on from Sunday up here on the board. The relationship between God's commands and grace. God's grace is an expression of his will. For example, love can't help but express itself, which is always perfectly harmonious with his commands. In other words, God will never command you to do something before he enables you to do it. So there's a qualifier here. I command you to give something, but I'm going to give it to you first. So I have every right to command it of you, by the way. 
But don't just think of it even religiously. That's just a by the by. By the way, I wouldn't do that to you. I'm not going to leave you stranded and insecure about the commands that I give you. If you're paying attention, you realize that I've given you everything you need to give to other people. So to be fair, the point on the board uh, is something we must learn. If you're new to the faith, that you're saying, I don't really necessarily understand the mechanics of that yet. And so he's also peppered these messages with the idea that a lot of what I'm teaching, what I would call as a teacher, maturity principles. So if, you're not, if it doesn't, it's not completely working or you don't get it completely or you get it but you don't have it, just chill out. Just relax. You're not supposed to yet. It takes time to mature. Just know that all these beautiful things that the Spirit's been highlighting, all these blessings of actually being in love in such a transcendent, freeing, powerful way, they're there for you. They're on that vector that you're on. We call sanctification. You just got to stay humble. And the more humble you are, the quicker you get there. Right? If there is such a thing as an acceleration pedal in the spiritual life, it's humility. You want to go really fast? Humility. That's why you see some people grow up like shoots, right? And other people sort of, you know, you know, because one person's really humble and another person's kind of arrogant. Still fighting that battle. but So just to be fair, it takes time. Our introduction to God's grace begins with this receiving, right? The, it begins with salvation because that's something certainly we receive. However, the very obvious fact is that we are still here after salvation because we have a purpose. And that's been what the Spirit's been developing here. So if we are to distill that purpose down into a single sentence, maybe a good way to think about it is something like, we are still here on earth after God saves us to spread the good news about Jesus Christ, the grace and truth that He is out of love. Maybe that's the right way to think about it. We're still here on earth after God saves us to spread the good news about Jesus Christ, the grace and truth that he is. We do that out of love. Pretty simple. Pretty straightforward. That's kind of our purpose here. It varies a lot from person to person and, you know, even spiritual gift to spiritual gift and situation to situation, um, but that's pretty much what it is. He wants us to spread the good news, which is tantamount to saying he wants us to spread his love in a way. I don't want you to get all weird and gushy where it's like, oh, you know, kumbaya, and you forget about everything else, and it's just love this, and you start throwing rose petals. You know, you're getting dangerously close to that watered-down gospel stuff that goes on. Next thing you know, you've got 40 minutes of music and 10 minutes of service. 
right? We don't want to go that route either. That's when the pendulum swings too far. But we do have a purpose here, and it's to spread the good news about Jesus Christ. How? What's our motivation? Love. And the more we're sanctified, the more we understand why we're here. So we are ultimately motivated to do this because our desires align with God's. Up here on the board, 1 Timothy 2.4, God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And so he uses us to that end. When we begin thinking this way, we shed our adolescent-like thinking. We shed it. We stop thinking about commandments in the Bible as oppressive or chore-like. We stop thinking that way. Because that's a misrepresentation of God. He gives us commands because He loves us and He wants us to be successful in this endeavor. He wants us to bring glory to Him as vessels. So He gives us like directions. This is how you do it. And when you do it, you, I promise, you will be blessed. And so we stop thinking like an adolescent. We stop thinking about commands in the Bible as oppressive or chore-like. Instead, we are totally blessed with the wisdom of knowing that God's commands are actually like a map He's given us. And that's why I really like um, reading the Bible and learning more is because it's like having a map and you're like, oh, Look at that location. That looks awesome. But you don't know how to get there yet. Right? I want that. I want that kind of mercy in me. I want that kind of peace in me. I want that kind of love. They're all on the map, but you kind of don't know how to get there yet. And so he says, here, let me show you some, Let me give you some directions. Take a left here. Take a right there. Take a left there. What do you do when you're an adolescent? I will take a right when I feel like it, and I'll take a left when I feel like it, and I'll end up in the pit. And I'll say, Mommy! You'll always call out to Mommy and Daddy, come save me! Right? Because that's what we do as adolescents, because we're jerks. Right? We don't want to listen to authority because we've got problems. Is that fair? Right? i got a couple of adolescents over here like, should we, hey, should we admit to it? We've all been there, sweetie. Right? We've all been there. Right? So there's no condemnation here. We're all like that even now as sometimes that adolescent bug gets in us. And I'm 51. Right? Obviously DJ. And he's like 53. So there you go. It gets in us. It gets the better of us. Right? We're like, mm, don't tell me. He's like, I'm just telling you to take a right turn. It's like driving the car, you know. Just take a right turn. Take a right turn. Remember before GPS? And the map, the, the Rand McNally would be like this big, crumpled up and getting in the driver's face. Take a right! You know what I'm saying? God's, it's like beautiful. God's like saying, I'm going to show you the way. Just listen. Take a right here. Next year, take a left over there. Ten years later, go straight. I don't know about you, but that really makes me be able to sleep at night. So we're totally blessed. 
with the wisdom of knowing that God's commands are actually like a map he's given us. His commands aren't actually oppressive at all, except to the flesh, maybe. Rather, they are freeing. And this wisdom brings us joy. Up here on the board, John 15, 10 to 11, the Amplified. If you keep my commandments and obey my teaching, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in His love. I have told you these things so that my joy and delight may be in you. Do you understand? I give you these commands so that you can make it to that place that you see on that map. And you're like, I want peace. I want love. I want contentment. I want happiness. I want to be merciful. I want to be forgiving. I want all these things that just seem so wonderful. Well, let me show you how to get there. I'm telling you, you got to obey my commands. That's the only way. I have told you these things so that my joy and delight may be in you and that your joy may be made full and complete and overflowing. That's why. When you grow up and you realize that's what his commandments are actually about, you thirst for them. Not your flesh. You, the new creature, thirst for them. Um, if you're still struggling to fit all the pieces of this together, again, I just say be patient. This definitely is not something that you will, you know, get right away. <clears throat> and don't do the fake it till you make it routine either, as you're only being disingenuous, which is really a waste of your time and God's. If you're lacking a little wisdom, you ready? Pray to God for it. You say, man, that message was magnificent. But I don't get it. Still struggling. I got all these worries from life. You know, I got this happening, I got that happening, I got, you know, so-and-so such a pain in my side. I just can't let it go. This person, I, I just hate it, you know? And it's, and it's, it's just sucking, <laughs> sucking your attention. Fight it. You have to pray to God. You have to pray to God. Up here on the board, John 16, 24, and he amplified, until now you have not asked the Father for anything in my name, but now ask and keep on asking and you will receive so that your joy may be full and complete. So you might say a good prayer is, Lord, I'm just going to be honest because that's what he wants. Homo legato. That's what confession is. I'm just being honest. I'm on my knees. I'm in my bed. I'm looking to you. I'm not that good at this. I really don't want to obey your commands. <laughs> Is that fair? That's the kind of conversation you be, should be having with God. Because he already knows it. So don't play that game, right? I'm having a really hard time obeying this command. Then you pray to him and ask him 
for strength to overcome that weakness so that you can obey that command and continue your journey to that destination that is so attractive to you, that you want so dearly. Peace. I mean, up here on the board, James 1.5, if, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. How about that? He's not even going to go, What? The audacity. <laughs> First you tell me you don't like my commands, and now you have the audacity to ask. He's not like that. He's like, this is grand. This is perfect. You're actually being humble for a change. Can we just get to the grassroots here? Can we just get to a place where you and I can have a real talk? Where you come to me and say, I am wretched. Can we just get there? Because then I can work with you. I, I will give you the wisdom to move beyond that problem. And what does he say? He says, keep on asking. Right? Didn't we just see that? Keep on asking. He gives generously to all without reproach. Just saying, that's Holy Scripture. So, I'm almost out of time. Uh, but we, do, we can at least start our wrap-up of the other side of grace, starting with this up here on the board. Please take this away. <clears throat> Please take this with you forever and ever. Take the idea of being in love Grab it with everything you've got. With everything you've got, with every muscle in your soul, grab this idea of being in love and throw out that romantic thing that has haunted you since you were a child. And if that means you can't read any more romance books, then don't, because you're too weak. You can't watch television with all that garbage in it, then don't. You follow? If YouTube's constantly in your face, then don't. Social networking. I'm not even going to mention the disgustingness of today's dating apps. Get off of that stuff. My goodness, what's wrong? Learn what it means to be in love. Please. Because there's no better place to be for you or for others than abiding in the sphere of God's love. You are untouchable at that point. Untouchable. Even if someone punches you in the face. Your love is unflappable. Cannot be shaken. That's where I want to be. Those are the directions I want to learn. I want to get to that place because I'm not there perfectly, not by any means. I can teach on it, but I have my own struggles. Paul would say the same thing if he was here. I'm not, I'm not there yet. Nobody ever arrives. That's what heaven's going to be like. <laughs> we, we're not perfect at this. But you know what? I want a piece of that. I want to know that thing. Because I don't like this idea of being controlled 
or manipulated or made miserable because I've bought a lie and my flesh is greedy to consume that lie or as long as I let it. I don't want any of that. I want to be in love. I want this kind of love. I think I'm going to end there. I get an amen? All right, let's bow our heads. Dearly Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for giving us truth that sets us free. Thank you for loving us so that we know what love is, that we might abide in it. Father, we're so blessed in doing so, so grateful to you. We just ask for your blessings as we take the things we've learned this evening back to the privacy of our own souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.